Uh, yeah. See, you ain't playing with no rookie. Huh. I do my thing, now watch me blow up I promise I'm the best, they mediocre I'm about to take them to church, go berserk Check out my sermon I'm major about this paper, you like my nature Coming on one, and teach you how to grind And get that paper till you blow up Back to another episode of Crescent Clips Podcast I am your host, Ariel Johnson And today we have a very special guest Again, each of the guests that I bring on here are people that I not only respect in their career, but then I also respect the roles that they've taken from a creative standpoint. So today I have a very, very dear colleague of mine, Eric, who is a world-renowned you know, filmmaker, director, writer, just visionary. Um, and I, I find him very aspirational because he is where I see myself like, five years from now, every five years. So um, <laughs> I'm super excited to have him. But what makes having Eric a special guest even further is he was actually the first person that told me I need to have my own show, specifically a podcast. So I don't know if some type of dream interpretation was walking, working through him, but I'm super excited to have him because it's just so ironic. Um, so Eric, I'm going to bring you to the spotlight now, and then we're going to talk about how we met and mm -hmm. how our lives are still connected. So yay, welcome Eric. Cool, cool, cool. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Eric Dickens. Um, I work in corporate America um, and ad operations for digital specifically uh, for a company targeted to Hispanics called Australia Media. And then um, I'm also a filmmaker. So those are the two things that I do on a day to day. Yay. Um, all right. So how, like, if we met for a reason, which I think we did, mm -hmm. I think I met everybody in my life for a reason. What would you say that reason is? Well, I think our paths would have crossed because you worked at Viacom, right? Mm -hmm. I used to work at Viacom and then we ended up both at um, NBC together. But I think it was two folds. One is because of um, it wasn't too much. It wasn't too diverse in our department where we we're at. Okay. So it's kind of like all the black people were like grouped together for lunch and just to um, talk about anything from work to pop culture. But two, I think just to push each other's dreams. I remember that you will always ask me like, well, when are you going to quit your job and do film full time? And I'm like, I'm just hustling, you know, be trying to fund my dream. Um, that's the whole purpose of like my nine to five. But even still, like you said, with your podcast specifically, it was kind of like just the conversations we all would have at lunch. I'm like, yo, you really need to have your own show because this is crazy. <laughs> so I think that um, it worked like, you know, and just pushing ourselves in corporate America, just always, you know, what I mean, trying to get the next level or trying to get greater pay within our um, our career specifically. So I think that from a career standpoint and a dream standpoint, we kind of aligned. Yeah, no, for sure. And what's like so funny, the reason I'm cracking up is because I would come to NBC going through it. I'm talking about <laughs> tears and heart attacks. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, that story. <laughs> but this will be real life happening to me. And Eric will be like, I'm going to use that in uh, my in one of my episodes. And she's like, you'll be like, do you mind if I turn your <laughs> absolute tragedy? into a smash it and i'll be like oh do what you want i think that people i always pray like you know when people graduate college that they could even move to a place where they get to really experience life in their 20s you know what i mean so when you do settle down you you don't feel like you regretted anything or you missed out on anything so just like even with like the web series i created like when people watched it they like are so many scenarios where i was like 
it'll be it, if I actually told the truth, it'll be like times ten. <laughs> like cause New yeah. York is just it's just a lot going on. Like yeah, no, and truth is sometimes stranger than fiction, which is like what is crazy. Like I would bring you stories that I could not have made up. In, in no reality could right. I have made up somebody having a heart attack and sliding down my wall. All <laughs> the protests of the fact that I don't want them. I could but never I, have made that up. People though, it's like New York brings the most, like people already have big personalities in New York. So if you put them all in like a room, you're just like, oh, this is a reality show. Kind of Hell way. yes. Um, all right. So thank you for answering my first question. Um, so kind of taking it back to conversation that we used to have, you would tell me, because I would be fascinated. I'm like, Eric, I know you live in that life the same way I'm living that life. The only difference is I say I want to write and you do write. Right, right. So I would be like, how the hell? And he was like, when you would tell me like, well, just carve out time. Like mm -hmm. I wake up and I think at the time you was writing on Saturday mornings. You was like, it's really not that hard. You just carve out time. But I, everything you said sounded like just riffraff to me. Right. Do you know what I'm doing on Saturday morning? <laughs> Can you even imagine? <laughs> um, and so what I want to know is like, how long did it actually take you to get to that discipline? And like, you basically pocket out space for your craft. And that's, you know, we're going to talk about how you do that outside of a nine to five in a little bit. But like, how long did it take you to get that discipline? Um, I started writing. It's weird. I wrote my first, I wrote a play when I was in seventh grade. And that's when I really discovered that I wanted to write. And when I came, went to college, I went to college for television production. So I thought I was going to work specifically in production. Um, I interned everywhere from 106 and Park with AJ and Free to like, um, I worked for CBS. At one, I mean, I interned at CBS for one point. I was on um, a show called God and Light, which was an old soap opera. Um, um, Stephen A. Smith had a show um, on ESPN called Quite Frankly. I was uh, interning in the sports department. So it was like a plethora of like different things that I was doing, but I just thought I was going to be in production. And then one thing like really changed my thought process. I interned on, on 50 Cent's um, music video called Out of Control. And I had got the... Oh, so ghetto, so ghetto. But I had got the internship maybe 48 hours before they needed me. But they back in the day, they wouldn't tell you what the, who the artist was. So they would just be like, it's a big artist. We need you to come on. So I was like, okay, cool. I remember coming on set at like literally two o'clock in the morning. I had to like load the truck, unload the truck. It's hot. Um, they're like trying to beat a shot before like the sun comes up. And I was on set for like 24 hours straight. And just looking like at the day rate, I was like, oh, I can't do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> this ain't going to cut it. Like, you know what I mean? Like 13, 14 hour days, 20 hour days, and you getting paid like, below scale i was like nah i'm cool the video ended up turning out being great but that was kind of like a wake-up call like you know maybe i should just pursue my own craft or just work focus more on writing and directing as opposed to just being staffed and there's nothing wrong with that you know if you're good at what you're doing you have a passion for it it's a steady gig i just knew that wasn't for me um so after that it was kind of like i went to abff and abff i was just um intrigued by um, the directors and the filmmakers who made the short films. ABF usually selects about four or five short films, and it's a big competition, usually sponsored by HBO. And they win like ten thousand dollars. And their short film was um, it was displayed on like HBO at that time. It was on demand, and you could just watch it. Um, and like a lot of the filmmakers will be coming, like getting work after it. They were working yeah. in the industry. Next thing you know, they're directing um, 
segments for shows and things of that nature. So after I saw that and I saw that the people were my age, it was easily attainable because you yeah. know, at one time it's just like you just see people working in television. You're like, well, how you kind of do that? It's easy to get an internship, but you're like, how do I land the job? Right. Um, so after that, I started writing and then I would have one of my mentors um, at Turner when I was working at Turner. She would read my stuff and give me a whole bunch of notes and she would be like, OK, adjust this, move this. Um, and she's like kind of helped me with my structure. And then I just kept writing until I got to a specific place where I felt confident. And then I shot like my first short film, which was a um, film about it's called Justine, about a girl who contracted, um, not contracted. She had ended up getting um breast cancer and oh, she was going through like a traumatic relationship and she kind of just like was she was living in new york and she just up up and left she basically had stage four breast cancer and she wanted to go back home and like live her last couple of days with her life i mean with her family but she know she never notified anybody so everybody mm -hmm. in new york like all her friends was like what happened and then when they finally heard back she was just she was deceased like they were all getting like um they were all getting like the obituary and stuff for her funeral like that um what is it called? The announcement. Yeah. Um, so after that, and I kind of did it, you know what I mean? And it, we shot for like two days and I remember being super nervous. And once we completed it, I was like, oh, I could definitely do this. So yeah. after that, I was just writing and directing. And then, um, which led me to web series. I, I, I'll stop there. I don't know if you want me to keep going, but. No, I mean, look, I was loving the whole trilogy. Like I was saying, <laughs> like I'm burning my saves. Like I got to do this. Like I'm so wrapped up in the story. Like, um, because what I heard you say back, and I'll say that back to you, is like right. you set out on a path. You didn't really know where you were going, but you took advantage of the little nudges that you were getting. Some of them is just common sense. Like, yo, I'm not about to work in production. Right, like, right. Yeah, this like like that's com that to you is common sense. But then some other things are like, all right. I'm just going to go off impulse or even intuition in some of these situations. And you just were like, let's just keep following the path. And now look at you. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's work. Um, like I tell people, I think the thing that helped me was I, I set aside a budget. So every time I would get paid, I would like, okay, every year I was like, if I want to shoot a short film every year, I need this amount of money. So I would take a certain amount of money in my paycheck and just put it in my savings. So I always had my money. Um, and I didn't have to rely on other people. I think that's the biggest thing. Like a lot of people don't understand. It's like when you when you take something from somebody, there's always a catch. Yeah. So it's kind of like if I invest this, I want to be able to put my own talent in your project. And you're like, well, that person can't really act. Well, you want this money, they have to be the lead. So it's always a barter system. You know what I mean? So you have to be cautious of that. And that's really, really good advice. Like I don't beat myself up too much about starting this podcast when I did. Because now I'm in a space where one, my life is calm enough to commit to this. Mm -hmm. But it's also two, no one else is involved. If me and you decided to start hosting this podcast together, that means when I need flexibility, like actually let's not record on Tuesdays, let's record on Thursday. That flexibility now inconveniences somebody else. And like I, in every aspect of my life at this point, are like, am trying to move away from any type of non-serving or like restricting anything, like really, because I realize now, like, okay, Ariel, you got everything it takes to just make shit happen. You can right. look back over your life and see nothing but evidence of you making shit happen. You always wanted to be a storyteller. A podcast gives me that little girl mm -hmm. dream like being on TV, this is me on camera, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> like, 
like that part that of the dream is fulfilled. But then the dream behind that one is you get to tell stories. And these are the stories I want to tell, like the people that I think that are in my circle that are doing very dope things. And like, y'all, we regular, like we're regular it's, people. It's fine. I remember we was promoting it for a season of the web series. And um, I think we did like a serious radio show. Um, and I was like, y'all get to do this every day. Like y'all get to come in and get paid all this money just to have a good time. You know what I mean? It was amazing. And I was just like, yo, this is dope. Like, and after, I think at, that's when I realized, I was like, what if you could actually work on your passion every day? Like how cool is that people that really can do that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and that's the place that I'm going to, but before we get there, I am going to ask one more question and then we're going to have a break from our sponsors. Okay. So the next question is, what is the secret to working a nine to five and a five to nine? Obviously, your nine to five being your corporate job that you said earlier funds your passion, but then that nine to five, like how do you not get tired? Like I think my dad put it when I was growing up, my dad used to always say, when I started working, my first job was at 15. I was working at McDonald's, and my dad would be like, Whatever you do, make sure you pay yourself first. So before I like paid all my bills, I would set out a percentage that I would put in my savings and then I would pay for everything else. And then the money that I had left over would be for like leisure stuff, like going out, hanging with my friends. So that's the same thing I tell people. And please know everybody, Eric be out, like you know, <laughs> going out casually, like making you think of a sunny day and brunch. Right, right. No, that is not what Eric be doing. Eric be out. <laughs> Yo, so you gotta, so you gotta do that with your time. Like a lot of times we focus on a nine to five, but we don't realize that you know you are making somebody else's making somebody else rich. So you have to figure out how to pursue your dreams as well. So right now, because of COVID, I have a hybrid schedule. So I go into the office sometimes two, maybe three times a week if necessary. So on that train ride, it's about forty minutes for me to get into the city. So I um, bought a new Mac. I bought Final Draft, which is a writing. Um, it's a writing tool that people use for scripts. And I also got editing equipment to go on that laptop. So when I'm on the train, I'm writing for 45, 40 minutes. That's, that means I can bang out about two, maybe three pages if I'm in a zone. Coming home, it's the same thing. That's six pages a day. A script is usually 90 pages. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Six in the 90. You can, you, you can pretty much finish a script in a month's time if you stay committed. You know what I mean? So that time is not a time suck either. Like, right. What else would you be doing on this 45 minute commute other than looking at the people look at you, look at right, them. right, right, right. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, it's I know some people watch TV on the train, but I can't like I, I'm like, I don't that's not my thing. I don't really watch shows on the train. I watch it when I get, you know, I'm home when I have um limited time on the weekends or whatever. But I use that time, you know what I mean? That's a good um, 40, 40 minutes going, I mean, 40 going, 40 coming back, you know, a good hour, 20 minutes that you could dedicate to writing. So if you do that five days a week, that's it. And it's not really, you're not pulling no time. You know what I mean? It's just like, you go to work, you do your work, you come home, you can eat dinner, watch television, and you already feel like you, you know what I mean? You achieved what you were supposed to do for that day. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like try to um, keep that mindset. Um, but I do tell people, I will say, it's a transition. So when you're first starting off writing, you're writing stuff that you like. Yeah. Once you get into the industry, you're now you work for hire. So sometimes yeah. you may not be passionate about something, but you have to push yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, what works for me is I'm really good with dates and deadlines. So if somebody says this needs to be done by this, I've always been a person like in college, I always would start like I could leave class when I was in college and we would get like a project. I would do, go to the library straight after college, do my project. And my friends would be like, 
why are you doing it now? I was like, because when a party come up, I'm not trying to run back to my room and be like up till four o'clock in the morning oh. the night before. <laughs> right, you know, they're going crazy because you're trying to like finish it and then you're not giving it your best work. You're stretching sentences. You're flipping the same sentence and just using different words because you know you have a deadline. Yeah, I, well, like, that's I, me. That, <laughs> that version of a student, that was me. I was up at four, but the thing is, I'm like, I'm a morning person. Like, right. Daddy gets up at four o'clock in the morning to go hunting. My home since growing up has been used to being woken up at very early in the morning. And so in college, that's how I passed too. Like, Eric, I'm sure if we went to the same college, we would have been the same person on campus. Like, right. I'm running head of this. I'm editor of the newspaper. I'm president of Delta, president of NAACP. I'm senior class secretary. I'm doing all this shit. But I also don't miss a single party or right, right. <laughs> yeah i was i was so sure i couldn't miss nothing so i was like all right we got i'll be getting this done right now but it, it was weird so when i got to grad school i went to grad school in new york at the new school i was interning for god and light and it was like exhausting i worked in a script department so we had to continue to like um we had to deliver scripts and they would do like five re rewrites a day so i always pay homage to like people who are in soap operas they remember stuff fast. Like it's constantly changing and they get paid a lot of money to do it. But, you know, it wasn't like I had any downtime. You know, like sometimes at work, you might have a free 45 minutes. You're like, well, let me do what I need to do for myself. That internship, I couldn't do nothing. So sometimes it was like survival. It was like, yeah, I'm in grad school, but I need to make money because it was a paid internship to help fund my lifestyle. So, you know, it's not undergrad where undergrad is your primary focus. In grad school, you're like, I still got to work. So yeah. some, something got to give of some time. So I learned how to work um, against deadlines at the last minute. Like sometimes, like I was up in grad school the day before papers would do and just be like flipping stuff. And that's how I became a good writer. I, like I hate using the same words and sentences. So I always like would utilize a thesaurus, flip that sentence. You basically saying the same thing five times, but you make it sound educated. Like they don't get it. You know what I mean? So. I, it, you have to learn how to do both because like even with script writing somebody will come to you and be like we love all this these are our notes unfortunately we're trying to shoot this at the end of the week can you flip it so now you're like the deadline just changed on me so you got to hurt and like really get it out fast mm. um and that's something that i kind of like doing it's like just to see if i can accomplish it you know what i mean it's like a task like a, a challenge so you like stress it, to a certain extent. If you're organized, I can deal with stress. But if your mm -hmm. stress is bringing me because you're unorganized, then that's when I have a problem. Got you, got you. Okay, well, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're yeah. now going to take a break. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Today's episode is brought to you by Pito's Pantry. Crescent Clips podcast proudly advocates for small business owners everywhere. So let's get into Pito's Pantry. Pito's Pantry is home of Abuelita Approved Cooking, ran by Chef Manuel, who is also known by most as Victor Perella. Um, Chef Manuel has served his cooking to community organizations throughout Brooklyn, as well as in the Houston area. He has inked corporate partnership deals to do virtual cooking classes at Google and Ampersand. Chef Manuel is available for all of your catered cooking needs, specializing in 
Puerto Rican and Italian culture cuisines. So check out Pito's Pantry on Instagram at Pito's Pantry or for any inquiries for catering needs, contact him at pitos.pantry at gmail.com. And now let's get back to our show. And welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, All right, cool. So the next question is what has been your greatest success and what has been your greatest lesson? Well, I have a lot of successes and I'll use 2021 as an example. First greatest success was becoming a father. Um, I don't think that you're ever prepared, you know what I mean, to be a parent. But when it happens, it's kind of like you adapt and you adjust. So it's weird, you know what I mean? I was never the person that, like, will hold people's kids. Like, people, like, give me, like, oh, give me a kid. I'm just like, oh, okay, like, that's cool. <laughs> like, that's, what I mean? so, cute. That's, that's my greatest achievement. Um, secondly, I would say 2021. Um, when I first started in Ed Operations, I had a really good boss um, that worked at Turner. And I remember saying, I can't, I would love to be a director at operations. You know what I mean? And that was something that I was like pushing for for years. And I, I'll admit it was kind of hard. You're, you're pivoting. Like, I feel like you would get with some companies and you will only achieve the status of like a senior manager. It was always hard to just like break through. You know what I mean? So for this year in March, I was able to obtain a position as an ad ops director. And that has something that I was trying to achieve since I was 24. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm just like, because at, at one point I was just like, is it, because Ultimately, I want to transition to film. Mm-hmm. But when you have goals, you just like, I want to hit that goal before I like pivot. Like, you know what I mean? So, both, like, yes, and both, both, and right, right. So, it was kind of like for that to happen, that was that was dope. And then, um, back in 2019, I had sold a um script for a Christmas movie, so that was going to be like my first network television. Um, like debut as a writer. And then what ended up happening with was COVID. So my Christmas movie actually got put on hold as far as for production. So in the interim, I was able to work with a, a team of creators and we created a documentary called High Risk um, that touched on like black maternal health issues. And that debuted in um, July of this year. Yeah, July of this year. So this year it was like, like right, I would say 2020, 2021. My son was born December 17, 2020. Then it was um, the job and then it was the um, documentary. So everything happened within a year's time. So I would say this year, it, it marked so much of things that I saw for myself when I first moved to New York. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was like, finally I achieved it. And not saying that you should ever put a time limit on your goals, but it was just like a good, um, it was just like a good accomplishment that I could like finally pat myself on the back and say everything that you set out to do for your short-term goals, you actually did it. (laughs) No, man, this makes me so happy because I'm sitting here like I am literally taking in like the happiness that's coming from you. And you are not a very expressive person. (laughs) I am not the first person. I won't be the last person to tell you like, Eric, you literally are like, yeah, you know, I just want a million dollars. And I would say that's probably- Because I tell people, I was like, you can't really get caught up like you should every celebrate every accomplishment. Like I tell people, take a moment out because that time passes and you you regret it. But I don't really get caught up in the hype because I you see so many people get caught up and then like years pass. You're like, well, what happened? Like you know what I mean? Because they they didn't have not only an exit plan, but they didn't have anything else on their vision board. It was just kind of like I'm I'm in living in the moment right now. I'm killing it, and it's like, all right, what's the next plan? What's the, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and that's the hard part about being a. Uh... A high achiever is we learn very early on because achievement feels normal 
that the day after you achieve whatever you said you was going to achieve, it's a new blank slate. Right, right, right. Like the whole, <laughs> you feel like every place you put your eyes is some type of question of like, so what's next? What's mm -hmm. next? And it's, it can, some people, it consumes them to the point where they can't even take time to celebrate the right now and the wins. But then for some people, they live in, at peace next to knowing like, because I am a goal, goal getter, I'll be cheesy. Like, I'll always be that. And so I and can't I say, get caught up in the hype. And I'll say in your, I would say in your 30s, you learn that your character speaks for itself. Um, cause you know, you can like push and push and like exhaust all your network and your pot, like every possibility that you have. But I've learned like on set, like when you're really like a good person and you're nice to people, your name will travel through, like, you know what I mean? Whatever avenue or whatever, um, what, whatever you're trying to achieve in whatever sector, it'll kind of travel to that um, line of business. And that's what I kind of learned because like this year, like people would hit me up like, oh, I need a writer on this are you free or uh, I can get you a pitch meeting with such and such. And I'm just like, all right. Cause you know, before, like when I was just starting out, it was like, it was so hard to just get somebody to like, just do a write up on you. You just like, yeah. Yo, can you please do a write up on this thing? Cause I'm trying to get pressed. And Look. then like, after a while you're like, Oh wow. I could be featured in this. Like, you know, this year we were featured in essence um, for our web, for our um, documentary. And somebody literally just hit, like hit my DM and was like, yo, I, I saw the documentary loved it. We would love to do a write up. Um, it feature you guys in essence and i was like yo 10 years ago i was like begging people like go to people websites like please <laughs> so it was kind of like it was a relief that you know your hard work pays off and like when you're a genuine person and you're good to people like they'll just it come back so it'll come back around full circle yeah and that's what i feel right now in this moment it's like i could have struggled with this endeavor it mm -hmm. is the podcasting space is extremely saturated. Everybody that I could have reached out to would be like, girl, I'm so sick and goddamn tired of podcasts. Hell fucking no. Y'all, nobody said that. They're like, girl, you should have been there this. Yes. But I think podcasts are cool. If you have a specific liking for something like you like, you like to hear, especially like for me, if I'm driving over an hour, I prefer to listen to a podcast. Like, yeah. that's just my thing. Like, you know what I mean? Over music. Um, and like, and I have like a top, like a top five that I normally like listen to. It's pretty cool. Like, I like them. I like, I think it's a cool space. Well, I hope that this one makes it to that top five. Top oh, five. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> at least top eight, guys. <laughs> Give me at least in the top eight. All right. So now to shift gears a little bit, like, absolutely, congratulations on everything. Same. Thanks. for you as well. Um, so now it's kind of taking us through some of the tougher lessons that you've had to learn. Um, so talk to me about stress management and your family and in our community, just your thoughts on it. And then why is even having that conversation important about stress management? Um, stress management definitely plays um, on to like mental health. Um, I think that it's, it's important that you're aware and, um, you know, like you said, when you're an overachiever, sometimes you could take on too much. Like you don't want to let an opportunity pass you by and you really have to understand that quality is better than quantity. You know what I mean? Your best work. Sometimes I, I, if, I, if I could dedicate a whole year to writing a, a script, what if that script was to win an Emmy or Oscar versus me funneling four different projects out 
you know what I mean, that maybe like somebody might see or they might not see, but just, it like sometimes it doesn't, it, it's not the best um, move to just take on a whole bunch of stuff. And when you do that, it could kind of, it, it could stress you out. You have your nine to five, you're working on all these different projects, you have all these deadlines. And then one, it can make you jaded about the industry. Like, you know what I mean? It's certain relationships that you have, you can overthink it or you can have like a, um, a negative interaction with somebody. And then when you step back, you're like, oh, that could have been prevented if I wasn't so stressed out. You know what I mean? And yeah. then that can hinder your career because that person will say, you know, don't work with this person. They on the edge. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was definitely, um, I think that everybody should kind of be aware. And, you know, I think a lot of companies should even like, you know, some companies like that I work with directly, they have mental health days. Like mm-hmm. once a month, they have a mental health day. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. Like, you know what I mean? But it's important yeah. because, you know, when you go to travel to other countries, some countries don't work in the summertime. You know what I mean? Like, and you see the quality of life specifically, like if I go to um, Italy and you're just seeing like how not everybody, but the people that I've experienced, everything is a celebration. Dinner is a thing. Like, you know what I mean? It's like they don't focus on just work, 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 work. It's like I need to live life, too. They're constantly traveling. Like, you know what I mean? Even over there, traveling for them is extremely affordable. Yeah. Put a plane ticket like $70. Like, (laughs) who knows? Damn. Right, right. So I think that, um, you know, it should be a healthy balance when it comes to work and just having a good time, which I am. Um, I'm excited about, you know, the millennial generation. It's kind of like social media has made traveling like so attractive. You know, when I was growing up, especially when I was coming out of college, everybody was going to Jamaica, Puerto Rico. It was the same places, you know what I mean? Miami. But now it's like everybody. It's still the same places. It's but I'm saying now you'll see somebody like I'm in Bali, like you know, I'm in Singapore. You like it's a thing, and then it's a, you can find affordable tickets. But all of that, you know, I used to tell people before COVID, I have to travel four times a year, like to to maintain my sanity and not even that creativity. You can't create in the same space. You constantly have to experience different things and go places. So, you know, when I was like just traveling through the airport, that's a story. On an airplane, that's another story. You're going to another country. You know, I mean, another continent. These are all stories in it. You know what I mean? You feel like I'm working this nine to five. There's a reward at the end of the tunnel outside of just like a promotion for yeah. a title or, my, you know what I mean, monetary gain. So I definitely think that mental health is is a good um, thing that everybody should be aware of. And I'm happy that you when you spoke about the community part of it, you focus on our community because I left it undefined because you mm-hmm. could have just started talking about black people as a whole but i think that you spoke on the microcosm within the black community which is those of us who are working in corporate america like we go to work every day battling the thoughts and almost like the scripts that our parents taught us about working right right don't work in the environments that they worked in and we struggle because we see our white peers out there enjoying life like and i think it's it's a now we have a sense of awareness like you know when we were growing up having a city job or just having a factory job which is still you know if you're putting food on the table for your family it's still commendable and like you know what i mean it should be highlighted but you stay on that job for 20 years and you get that pension and you just make sure that you look straight ahead and don't say nothing because you know you want to retire you know what i mean but what people are feeling to realize is that not everybody lives a long life so what if you don't make it to 65 years old you literally worked at that same job and did all that for retirement that you'll never get to see like you know what i mean yeah. like, like when i was when i was in college i was a part of a, um a, a group or um 
organization called NABJ, National Association for Black Journalists. And we mm-hmm. were um, fortunate enough to travel around, like they have a conference every year. So we would go to the conference, it would be paid. Um, they would set us up on um, interviews with like different networks. And then we would get entertain, um, internships from those um, interviews and things of that nature. But from that experience, just coming from Philadelphia, like the hood, like, well, the hood and like a good neighborhood. Cause I grew up in two folks. Um, it just told me like you're enough like you know what i mean like just that experience so when i got into corporate america you couldn't hit me with the flim flam i was like i was in college we was going on this tour we did this like you know what i mean yeah. all my stuff i got per diem all my stuff was free so i'm not about to come here and you're gonna give me this whack package and thinking i'm supposed to be jumping for joy especially when my counterparts are getting something greater so mm-hmm. it just always made me understand like you know when you walk into this room present yourself a specific way and command a certain amount of respect you know what i mean and that's kind of like how i navigate and i like i i think that you know this word has been used uh to the end but when people say unapologetically it should be that it should like you should like you should never be in a space where you feel like i should be thankful for you know i mean crumbs or anything like that i should be on the same level as everybody else in this room i worked i have the degrees you know what i mean i had the gpa i had the internships my resume speaks for itself especially if that resume was done by ccc oh wait so your I promotion got, <laughs> wait was your promotion did you use the ccc resume yeah i got two jobs off of your resume uh <laughs> yeah i was working at xander you did my resume when i got that job and then when i started working at my current job um you did my resume as well Yo, it is it the see like the the dots just be connected. Yeah. I I'm very happy to hear that. Um, all right, staying on task, staying on task. <laughs> Obviously, that's a challenge for me, so I have to sing a song about staying on task. All right, cool. Now you mentioned high risk documentary. <laughs> all right, so high risk documentary does. I do know that it does do a really good job at. Um, shedding light on birth and mortality rates among Black women. So you said a little bit earlier about why your focus pivoted and allowed you to focus on this with everything that happened with the Christmas film. But is there anything in particular that fuels your passion about the topic of um, birth and mortality rates amongst Black women? Yeah, it was a personal story. Um, So before we welcomed our amazing son, Denver, me and my wife, we were actually pregnant the year prior, um, and then she had a missed miscarriage at 16 weeks. Um, so from that, it was kind of it became kind of therapeutic, therapeutic to do the documentary. And um, I aligned with two of my friends; they had issues similar, with like um, endometriosis. It was um, issue with like high blood pressure, things of that nature. So, um, and they had friends that experienced it. And you'd be surprised how many people go through this um, issue. Like, you know, there are a lot of women that conceive their first child effortlessly. And then they might, it might be eight years before they try to conceive again. And they run into so many different problems. And then most people just will tell you like, oh, it's because you're older, but there are thyroid issues. There's so many different issues that can block um, reproduction. So that it was, we kind of, we met with so many different families and then you realize how, of the norm it was and then if you actually go back to speak to like some of your family members you you'll never know your grandma might have had a miscarriage or things of that nature like family structures were like especially from the from the south it was like 
your family might take in a cousin. Like it was just so many different things. Like, you know what I mean? So it, that was one of the main reasons why we um did the documentary, just to bring awareness, you know what I mean? Specifically in a black space and also on um, another full, like the negligence that a lot of black families experience going into the hospital, you know? It's a lot of stereotypes. You'd be surprised that I've seen with my own eyes. If you go into the hospital, um, like with your um, fiance, right, and he don't have his ring on, they assume that y'all just boyfriend and girlfriend, which is nothing wrong with that. But it's just like, why is it stereotypical? Like, stere it's so stereotypic. Like, some people just don't wear their rings. If you have a manual job, you're not going to wear a ring that you spent so much money on. But then again, it's none of your business. But based upon that. Your, your health care can be perceived, okay, well, they just young. They don't know no better. I have this a middle-aged woman over here. She's a doctor. Her husband's a lawyer. So make sure you give all your focus to them because, you know, they're at a higher um, stance or a higher a status. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like a lot of things that you experience going into a hospital that you need to be aware of and that you have to advocate for yourself. Another thing we found that they believe that Black women suffer um, or Black women can withstand high um, levels of tolerance when it comes to pain. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like, you know what you feel. But the one thing that I always would say is like, you guys are treating everybody's body like it's the same. It's not. It's not. You know what I mean? Like, everybody is different. So it was a lot of different things. Like, even, um, you know, just birthing plans. It was like things like, you know, I was not privy to. You know what I mean? Before starting a family that once we um, went and, you know what I mean, we decided to um, have a child that we ended up bringing a doula on board. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she kind of like walked us through everything and like every step that we should require. You know, if they tell you this specific thing in the hospital, you can demand this. Like your rights. A lot of people don't understand how many rights that they have going into the hospital. So mm -hmm. that was like another thing that we touched on in a documentary and that we wanted to bring, bring awareness to because um, as, as knowledgeable as you think that you are with everything, your job, your family, everything. But when you're trying to have a family, it's like, this is not how it works on television. Or like, I don't, this is not what they showed me. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? It's really good to be knowledgeable. So that was the reason why we decided to do the documentary. But it's not this sad, devastating thing. It's also a source of education and empowerment. Like, did you know when you right, right. It's, it's sad stories. Like, we definitely go there, but everybody has a good ending. Yeah. You know I mean, because, like, if one tragedy happens to you, it makes you stronger and prepare for the next, you know what I mean, your next phase a little bit better. So you'll see that in a documentary where it's not just a situation where it's like, damn, that's crazy. It's literally like, okay, mental health. If this happens to me, how do I regroup? How do I prepare? You know what I mean? Some people never fully get over it. Like, you'll have some people that have five kids and they'll still have a birthday for the kid that they lost 20 years ago. Like, you know what I mean? Because it depends on if you carry some a baby for eight months, you know what I mean? Before something happened, you never know the connection. Like, you know, I know a girl who had twins, lost both of her twins. She has three kids or two to three kids now. She still remembers those, you know what I mean? Those twins, because that's something that she really wanted. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a space where you can never tell somebody to get over something or that they'll fully heal. And then what I learned, is that, um, you know, men also deal with it as well. You know what I mean? You always only hear about the um, the mother or the woman, um, but men, they also cope with it. And, you know what I mean? And it's kind of hard for men to cope with it because when some, when tragedy happens, we're taught to be um, the people that kind of take care and console. You know what I mean? It's not like you really can't show weakness. And, you know, in our generation, like, I think that we're- not happening to us as a couple. Physically in your body, right. Happening to you as- uh, the mother so like 
either guy, either society tells guys like, hey, you have no, your tears aren't welcome to your, right. or guys tell themselves like, all right, I don't, I can't be a part of the suffering because I have to be here and be strong. Right, right, absolutely. So we tackled a lot. Um, I learned so much just going through that process, like, you know, correct terminology and things of that nature. Um, we were fortunate to have like a lot of families that remembered everything. Like, you know what I mean? We tackle IVF, like people that have um, non-traditional ways of getting pregnant, which is, I feel like it's becoming more of the norm because you have um, a lot of jobs in their insurance that are helping people get pregnant as opposed to that wasn't a thing. Like a lot of companies still haven't adopted it, but a lot of companies are investing in it. You know, I think everybody should have a choice to have a family, you know what I mean? Any way that they can. So the fact that um, any company or a job is investing in truly in their employees i think that's a great thing so we touch on ivf we touch on um miscarriage we touch on a person that was pregnant with twins that lost the twin after the twin was born you know what i mean i mean the set of twins were born and then um we just touched on somebody who had a good pregnancy but decided to do the pregnancy on their own and how that kind of panned out for them so you see you, you see four different stories from different people um and just how their lives ended and um the lessons that they learned mm -hmm. now how do you know when a story is done being told like you had to make the decision to end break makeups and breakups you had to make a decision to like only interview four people in this high-risk documentary like this is just me selfishly asking as a fellow writer like how do you know when the story is over you you can you never it's you're like you're passionate about a lot of different things so you don't want to you always want to end on a high note like you need to know your exit strategy so for instance insecure is only um five seasons like you know what i mean and she knew when they started that they want to do five seasons when i started to make up a breakup i knew that i only wanted to do three seasons um because i was writing in a space for new york in new york things move very fast you could come up to new york and conquer the world and say you know what i want to move to la tomorrow i want to move to miami just because you want to have a different experience. Like, you know what I mean? And that's just how New York is. Like, I survived New York for seven and a half years. And in that seven and a half years, for some people, I probably lived 25 years of the things that they would have done just sitting in their hometown. And I, like, I had so much fun. Like, you know what I mean? Like you said, you go through so many relationships, breakups, parties, like events, like seeing, like, I remember seeing like the crawfish boil in Brooklyn in like his second year to seeing it like it's huge or Henny Palooza like yeah, just, just go in there go to these concerts they're now concerts and you're like I remember this was like a somebody apartment like that shit is an entity now I was like I remember being to a point where I'm like oh yeah I go to Grits and Biscuits every year I'm probably not right. here. like it, it was like that and Henny Palooza and all these different things like they turn into movements, but in New York, it is the place of making your dreams, like your wildest dreams come true. And you said something that struck me, that I survived New York for seven and a half years. <laughs> that language is the same language I use. Like when I moved to Houston, it felt like I had just got out of a matrix, like time vortex. And but I don't think that people understand when they, when they literally say, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And that's why I tell people it's sad because I would see so many creatives when I was fortunate enough to go to grad school and have a corporate job. Same. Like, you know what I mean? When you're in New York, you see a lot of actors, you see a lot of um, 
theater, um, whether it be a playwright or people that want to act in theater. And you see some so many careers blossom, but you see some people like after six months, they're like, I can't do this. And they just go back home. So to me, that was just a huge accomplishment because I moved up to New York with nothing. Like I remember having a grad school acceptance letter and I had my last work study paycheck. So my account plus my graduation money, I might've had $450. So just that summer of saving money, I remember working in American Eagle's flagship store on 34th Street. And luckily at that time, American Eagle was popping. But I was yeah. remember being in the clothing store like, yeah, you got you start grad school in the fall, but you got a whole degree working in the retail. And I was just like, and I remember one of my mentors was like, it doesn't matter what you're doing right now. You just got to stay focused because all your dreams will happen and everything worked like clockwork. I remember I worked in American Eagle that summer. My dad matched everything I saved. I was able to get my apartment in Harlem. I got my apartment in Harlem, started grad school. That refund check came balling. Like, you know what I mean? Because I didn't take out refund checks in undergrad. So this was like a thing. Like, you know what I mean? Because my dad paid for me to go to undergrad, which was like huge. So I was balling in grad school. And then um, I remember I was temping and we would be like work our temp um, jobs, quit three months. Like, it was like literally like being in New York, like, like, you know how you, like, go out to, like, uh, like SOBs used to be the thing. So we go to SOBs. We come in the house, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, wake up. We got to be at our temp job at 8. And I'm like, yeah, I ain't going in. Call out. Like, you know what I mean? Whatever. And it was this just like. This is what I meant, ladies and gentlemen, when I say Eric be out. He right. Be out. But I was like, your early 20s is really for you to discover. And I was always blessed to have a safety net. Like, okay, if this job don't work out, your refund check will come into play. But you're in grad school and you do have a paid internship. So you're not completely broke. Like, you know what I mean? You have something. And then literally, like, when I was graduating a week, like, I would say a month before I was graduating from grad school, I was like, I got to get a real job. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So this one girl was in my class named Sophia, and she was like, I work at Turner, spearheading a new ad ops department. Would you be interested? I was like, sure. Mm -hmm. Went in there, met with everybody, and they hired me. And I had, like, a week before graduation, I got the offer. And it was, like, such a relief. Like, yeah. finally, I know what I'm doing with my life. And I just mm -hmm. got into admirations, loved it. I was flourishing. First six months, got a promotion. The next year, got a promotion. I was like, I got so accustomed to getting promoted. I thought that's how life was going to be. I was like, and oh. Y'all like, uh -uh, not trying to, like, I have. Like, every year. <laughs> Eric, leave. He will walk away from a situation if it's anything less than he deserves. He's like, hey, you would coach me and Morgan. Right. He's like, uh-uh, don't talk to you like that. Right. Uh -uh. <laughs> because you, like, the if you see, like, in corporate America, the stuff that, I don't want to just say our counterparts, but people get away with you like, why am I like sticking to this script that I've been told over and over and over again? I'm like, they know whatever they want to do. Like, I that, remember I had a, my boss, his wife uh, misplaced her wedding band and he called out of work for two days to look for it. I'm like, what? <laughs> I have seen, I have bear witness to someone saying, <clears throat> Oh, yeah, I'm going to be taking Thursday and Friday off because, you know, I need to do some spring rearranging in my closet. Y'all, this is this is happening at Google. Yo, you know, people put Google on this pedestal of like these demigods all work there. No, but I never no. I was like I was trained by like my like I saw my grandparents growing up every weekend. So my grandparents be like, when you get that job, don't call out. My first two jobs I worked at Turner and Viacom, I never called out to the point that. When I interned to get the job at Viacom, I had to call out to interview. And my boss was like, he about to quit. He'd been working for three years. He ain't never call out. And she was right. 
Man, I got the right kind. I said, oh, I'm using all these days, sick days. Why? Why am I doing this? <laughs> it's the mentality. is, And y'all would think, y'all think slavery was 200 years ago and that 200 means so far away. But when you think about how long we have existed, right. this is a society, 200 years was a very long time. Yes. How long do you think it takes to reverse that mindset that we were all like our existence in this country was to be in a serving capacity that's right, the right. only thing you hear we didn't come here trying to get a little european vacation like no we came here to work and so that mindset has been passed down because 200 years is a long time to create a mindset like that's right. long. Yeah, it is and you got a deep uh deprogrammed from all of that but yeah and a lot fortunately like COVID has taught us a lot like a lot of people don't care what they do for a living as long as they can do it where they want to do it it's kind of like if I could be a Bali and I could just log into my computer I'm cool like you have to be like and that's what a lot of companies are struggling to hire people now because the same gimmicks aren't really working anymore like you know what I mean like I remember they being on, me on that hamster wheel bro right. every, I literally <laughs> just landed a new job at Google that lets me work remote because when they was talking all like rah 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 rah, we gonna come back to the office. I'm like, yes. Yeah, so I just closed on the house. Big big okay. shout out with a pool. Yeah. With a pool. That was, like, I was the corporation is saying one thing, I was saying my own thing, and being at home, it was even it felt more silly. Like, okay, you really about to let people stress you that you know that you are not going to see at any point in time, right? Anytime soon. Right, that's facts. And I would, yeah, this, COVID told us a lot. The same stuff that you could do in the office, you could definitely do at home. I actually get done more stuff done at home than in the office mm -hmm. um, because that travel time, it eats, that's like an hour out of your time that you could just roll over, log onto your computer, and get stuff done. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, that is everything. We have two minutes left. Um, okay. We are going to hear from another one of our sponsors momentarily. Um, and then to wrap us up, we'll do like end on a little high note because that was some of the advice that you gave. So you can pick from what is your morning routine or what song is currently like playing on repeat that like gets you in the zone. So like, all right. So what song is it? I um, always listen to Stevie Wonder. Um, Probably like all his albums, Hotter Than July, um, Writings in the Key of Life, um, or Songs in the Key of Life. I'm sorry, that's pretty one of my favorite albums. I like discovering. Um, so this is a funny thing that people don't know about me. When I was growing up, I never bore CDs. My brother was like he was a music head. I didn't become a music head till I was in college. Um, and he will always buy CDs. I will only know singles. So even like your favorite, like rap, unless it was a Jay-Z or a DMX or like Rough Riders, like Junior Mafia, that sector, I know every song. But if it was just like, oh, this is this new rapper and he got a single on the radio, I never um, listened to the CDs. So my biggest thing is like listening to old CDs and discovering hit songs. So my yeah. friend, like, so for instance, I was listening to Drew Hill um, album and I discovered a song called April Showers. And my friend was like, how the hell don't you know this song? I was like, I didn't buy CDs back in the day. Yeah. Like, I can tell you, tell me. Like, it, it'll mm -hmm. be promised. Like, it, I mean, five steps. Like, anything that was on the radio, I knew. Like, you know what I mean? But the CDs, I didn't buy a Drew Hill CD in, what, seventh, eighth grade. So it was kind of like, oh, when I listen to CDs now, I like to discover songs. Like, I just discovered a song by Nas called Do Rags. And it, like, 
it has an old school sample. And I'm like, yo, this song is really dope. And I'm like, how have I never heard this? So like, that's my thing. Whether it be like Stevie Wonder, I'm always listening to that when I'm writing or like Music Soul Child um, because he's from my hometown. And it, like when his album hit, I was in high school, it was a big deal. Like, you know what I mean? It was a big deal. Philly ran his album through the ground. Between him and Eve, like they played them like back to back. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, but anything Music Soul Child has or anything from Stevie Wonder, I pretty much listen to that when I'm writing. And I try to write, I try to find a song that um, plays to, like, the scene. Okay. Um, yeah, like, if it's a dramatic scene, I'll look for a song on one of music CDs that's like, oh, this is crazy. Or if it's something like a love scene, you can go to Stevie Wonder, listen to anything. Yeah. Um, but it kind of, like, gets me in the mood or whatever, so. That, that is so fascinating. I thought you were going to say something like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm listening to Twin and them. <laughs> like, oh, no, no. Like, I listen to current. Like, I, I feel like sometimes I'm detached from, like, the new artists. Like, for me, I feel like life stopped after, like, Drake, Kendrick, Wale, and J. Cole. Like, everybody else that's coming out, they, they're cool. Like, you know, yeah. like, Tory Lanez or somebody like that. But, like, that's super talented. But, like... After that, it's like, I just think like, you know, one album, they're going to have a couple of hits and then there's going to be another artist coming out. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's like, I pretty much stopped doing that kind of level. So I could try to listen to like older stuff where, you know, every it was like more expression in like the late 90s, what well, a 90s period and just like the early 2000s where everybody was just like repping where they were from. Yeah. Now I feel like you turn on the radio, everybody sound the same. So Everybody do sound the same, but I mean, that's what, that's what it's given. Um, right, right, right. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for one, being one of the first people that told me that I should start a podcast and then two, being one of the first people on as a guest in the published version. I actually recorded my whole first episode two weeks ago. Dope. That was dope. And the video didn't save. Oh, the man. file didn't save. And so like, uh, now I'm at the point in my life where I don't beat myself up on things, nor do I question things, nor do I believe in coincidences. And so it's like, while it didn't start how I quote unquote thought it would, this is like kind of makes it even more special because like you legitimately were the first person that was Dope. Like, as serious. Like you should have a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. If people was there for NBC lunchtime, uh, <laughs> The lunch session, the whole um, I call it the black committee. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. And now for our sponsored ad, our final one of this episode. It is brought to you by Petty Apparel. Over at Petty Apparel, that's ran by my very good friend, Kristen Kendrick. Petty Apparel is a stylish, modern clothing brand that speaks for itself while also making a statement. I proudly rocked my Petty Apparel shirt when I closed on my home last year because she is repping for the home team and one of the members of the home team that's also doing big things. So tune in and listen to Kristen tell you about Petty Apparel. Today. So go ahead, go purchase your favorite Pepsi and join the Petty Posse today. We're waiting on you.